The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Investors on edge as the Fed kicks off its two-day policy meeting today. The central bank looking to balance recession risk with runaway inflation. And ahead of that decision tomorrow, another central bank already making history today, hiking its key rate for the first time in more than a decade. Now turning our attention back to Wall Street. Tech under pressure again. After a short-lived relief rally yesterday that saw the Nasdaq post a more than 1% gain, the 10-year yield now above 3%. Plus, Elon Musk looking for some help in his bid to take Twitter private. Hopefully the world's richest man can find someone else with some very deep pockets. And later, the results of yet another New York Amazon Warehouse Union vote that has some calling the first win a fluke. It is Tuesday, May the 3rd, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan, who's reporting from the Milken Conference in California. We're going to hear from him in just a few minutes. But first, let's kick off this hour with a check on the markets and, of course, your money. Right now, stock futures, well, marginally in the green, just fractionally up right now. Looking at the Dow right now, poised to pop, you know, fractionally, just as I said. Now, this comes after a late-day rally yesterday that saw all the major averages end the day in the green after hitting fresh lows for the year just earlier in that same session. The Nasdaq actually ending the day with a 1.6% gain. We're just showing you the moves right here on the Dow. The big news in the bond market today, the 10-year yield is now trading Above 3%, or at least it was earlier this morning for the first time since 2018. Right now, just checked it a minute ago. I believe it fell just below 3%, just a little bit below 3% on that yield. Um, yep, looking at it right here, just at 2.985 again. But earlier today, just a few minutes ago, actually, trading above 3% for the first time since December of 2018. And in the oil market, crude coming off its fifth winning session in a row, just giving back a little bit this morning. We're seeing right now WTI crude down a percent, same for Brent crude. But you got to remember, they're both trading right now at about the level they were at the start of April on April 1st and April 2nd. So kind of after a roller coaster ride during the month, kind of coming back to the same spot. Of course, we got to check crypto. Right now, we're seeing Bitcoin and Ether. Both of them up slightly this morning. We're seeing Bitcoin up just fractionally. Same thing for Ether. But you got to remember, this is a deep decline from where it started at at the beginning of April. Is it about 46,000 at the beginning of April? All right, let's get a check on how things are shaping up around the world. Sherry Kang is in Hong Kong with that overnight action in Asia. Our Juliana Tattlebombs in our London newsroom with the early trade over there in Europe. Sherry, we're going to kick things off with you. Good morning, Frank. We headlined it. Let's kick off a down under the Reserve Bank of Australia going for the very first rate hike in 11 years. And that is pushing up the Australian dollar pretty much across the board. What led to it? Well, you guessed it. High inflation. In fact, the RBA governor is saying that this is the right time to basically withdraw some of the extraordinary monetary support. And moving on to the Hong Kong markets, uh, which is where I am, HSBC. It's a heavyweight here in Hong Kong and shares up 
after some pressure coming through. It's from its largest shareholder, Chinese insurance giant Pingon, calling for some kind of、uh, well. Well, different options, including、uh, potentially spinning off its Asian unit to boost its valuation. The share is actually closing higher by two and a half percent. Markets are liking the sound of that. Its Asian unit actually earns two thirds of its profits. But、uh, certainly, Alibaba shares certainly put a lot of pressure on the Hong Kong benchmark. So volatile swings today. Alibaba shares actually declined as much as nine percent. This after the Chinese media reporting China suggested that the authorities had taken action against an individual named Ma. However, major recovery came through after the state-run media actually made clear that it wasn't a ma, as in a Jack Ma, the founder of the e-commerce giant. As certainly goes to show that this is a sensitive area in sensitive times. Frank. Yeah, thanks for the latest from the Asian market, Sherry. We're going to turn our attention now to the early trade in Europe and Juliana Tattlebaum. Hey, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, things in Europe are looking up. We've got modest gains for the most part here in Europe. Some upbeat earnings seem to be lifting sentiment.、Uh, the one exception, FTSE 100, we're trading a little bit below the flat line, down about four tenths of a percent. We are seeing a march higher in sterling this morning ahead of the Bank of England meeting on Thursday, and the index tends to have an inverse relationship with sterling, so that would explain the underperformance there. A big earnings day, as I said. So let me highlight a couple of the names for you. BNP Paribas in the banking space has reported a. Better than expected, 19% jump in first quarter net income coming in just over 2 billion euros. The French lender says it expects to see strong momentum in the coming year. BNP shares trading more than 3% higher. In the oil space, BP will book an impairment charge of 24 billion dollars over its exit from Russia, with the energy giant writing down its near 20% Rosneft stake to zero. However, the spike in oil prices did boost trading at the group, allowing BP to report its highest net profit in. More than a decade, BP CEO Bernard Looney defended his company's decision not to exit Russia earlier. Take a listen. 96 hours after the invasion started,、uh, we announced that decision to exit the country. We believe that was both the right thing to do and the right thing to do for our shareholders. So I think we acted incredibly swiftly. Frank BP shares are trading higher this morning, so net net investors seem to be cheering what the oil giant delivered. Shares up more than three percent. Back over to you. All right, Juliana, thanks for that. Our Juliana Tattlebaum in Europe, Sherry Kang over in Hong Kong. Now let's turn our attention back to the U.S. and get a check of some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau here in the U.S. Silvana, <laughs> good morning. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Well, in the wake of the European Union's stepped-up antitrust case against Apple, it turns out PayPal was reportedly one of the companies that made complaints to regulators about Apple and its abuse of the mobile payment ecosystem, according to Bloomberg. PayPal offers tap-to-pay options on Android phones and wants to have the ability to offer the same feature on Apple's iPhones. Electric vehicle maker Rivian. Says it will receive 1.5 billion dollars in state and local incentives and tax credits for its upcoming assembly plant it plans to build in Georgia. The five billion dollar facility is expected to employ some 7,500 workers with an average annual salary of 56,000 dollars each. Rivian says it aims to open the new factory in late 2024. And toy maker Hasbro has not one but two activist investors on its case. 
The Wall Street Journal reporting Ancora Holdings now has a 1% stake in the company and joins Fox Capital Management in pushing for changes that include spinning off its fast-growing Wizards of the Coast gaming unit and exploring a full or partial sale of Entertainment One, a studio Hasbro bought for roughly $4 billion back in 2018 that's responsible for the hit children's show Peppa Pig. Hasbro shares, Frank, um, a little higher in the pre-market, but lower uh, for the year. Very. Every time I see Peppa Pig, I'm kind of thinking <laughs> the cartoons we used to watch when we were kids, they just seem like more fun. I got to be do. honest. I agree. I agree. Although Peppa, Peppa Pig is pretty cute, but I agree. I like I like our cartoons from back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure these ones are educational and all, but those ones right. back then were fun. They all were right. a lot of fun. <laughs> Savannah now, thank you for the link. You got it. All right, turning our attention to a developing story and one that is likely to shape the country's social discourse for decades to come. According to a draft opinion leaked to Politico, the Supreme Court appears poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington. Uh, Bree, obviously a, a potentially very controversial decision. That's right. Good morning, Frank. Well, NBC News has not confirmed the draft opinion, but the document would constitute an unprecedented leak, uh, and it's possible that it could change in the coming months. The leaked draft opinion released by Politico indicates the Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. The document, reportedly authored by Justice Samuel Alito, states the inescapable conclusion is that the right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. While it is not the final word from justices, it is raising concerns. As of today, it remains our constitutional right. But we also have to be clear that it is hanging on by a literal thread. And what this decision, this leaked draft means is that our deepest fears are coming true. Susan B. Anthony List, an advocacy group that supports ending abortion, released a statement saying the American people have the right to act through their elected officials to debate and enact law that protects unborn children and honor women. Overturning the landmark decision would allow states to outright ban abortions. Abortion is oppression! Protesters from both sides are gathering outside the Supreme Court. This is something that affects me so personally and and hurts so much to know that has might be ripped away from me. The unborn are human, and we've been killing them in mass to the tune of millions. Both Democrats and Republicans criticized the leak. This is very, very serious. It is an unprecedented breach of the court's confidentiality, and it is plainly meant to corrupt the process within the court. A spokesperson says the court has no comment. The Supreme Court is expected to issue its final ruling in late June or early July. Frank? Just to be clear, this is not the court's final decision. This is a leak uh, to Politico. So even if this turns out to be the opinion or there turns out to be some piece of the opinion, there's still more to go here, right? Yeah, there is still more to go. And it's important to note that this is just a draft opinion. And as Politico pointed out, that justices can and sometimes do uh, change these opinions as they start to circulate. So uh, this is not the final ruling. We do expect that to happen before the court uh, finishes in late June or early July, Frank. Yeah, important distinction, but certainly a very interesting report. Bree Jackson reporting from D.C. Thank you. All right, turning our attention back to the markets now. The Fed kicking off a two-day meeting today with the odds leaning heavily towards a rate hike of 50 basis points, the first time the central bank has gone more than a quarter point in 22 years. There's also growing talk. The Fed could be even more aggressive and raise rates by 75 points next month as it really tries to rein in inflation. Let's bring in Mark Hayfley, chief investment officer at UBS Global Wealth Management. Mark, a lot to unpack. Thanks for being up. 
Well, it's a pleasure to be here. It's certainly uh, an exciting week. And I think, you know, the markets are looking for a real sign that the Fed is serious about inflation, but not so deadly serious that uh, they're, they're unwilling to contemplate some of the things they've said in the past, like that inflation could cool and they're really going to be data dependent going forward. Okay, so, Mark, let's get to what you're saying. Actually, you believe a lot of volatility we're seeing in the markets due to overreaction of Fed policy. Um, As you just mentioned, or we just talked about two day meeting today, 50 basis point hike expected uh, with the goal of combating inflation. You also believe that inflation is going to moderate in the second half of the year. And is that because of these rate hikes, Uh, the potential one that we're seeing tomorrow, 50 basis points largely expected and possibly 75 points? Is the Fed actually going to achieve its goal of tamping down inflation? Well, look, reaction, overreaction, I think, you know, in a typical uh, recession, you can see the market sell off 30 percent. We've done 13, 14 percent in the S&P 500. And that's kind of the market saying the way the Fed is talking, maybe it's close to 50, 50 that we get a recession in the next six months. And I think for us, you know, we think the odds of a recession in the next six months are lower than 50 50. So we think that the, the market can go higher. And our view is anchored in what you've said, which is that when you look at the supply constraints around COVID, when you look at the impact of uh, lower liquidity and, and the Fed jawboning, we think some of that inflation is going to come out of the market. So we're going to see moderating inflation and moderating growth into this year. And that will give the Fed a little more flexibility in how they raise rates to combat what is certainly an inflationary and uh, above-trend growth environment. So, Mark, I want to hit on something. You said you see it less than 50-50 of a recession. Um, You actually have a bull case price target for the S&P of 5,100. That's about 1,000 points higher than current levels. I'm going to call this your base case. You don't use these exact words, but you have a base case of 4,700, about a 13% upside, where you see the Fed raising rates, energy prices rise as Russia stops supplying gas to Europe, Russia actually moves nuclear weapons close to the Ukraine border. China cases of COVID ease. That's just a lot of stuff going on. Um, Do you believe all the potential downside from several of those things? Do you believe those are already priced in and the market's just going to go up despite those things happening? Well, you didn't you know, we also have we also have a downside case as well, which is thirty six hundred. Right. So we're trying to put a framework around all the things that could happen. But to get to the base case, what you need what you need to have happen is to see the inflation come down a bit and then for markets to reprice not around a three percent terminal rate for the ten year, but closer to a two and a half percent ten year. So right. it's certainly still a it's certainly still a possible outcome for the year. And with a little bit of luck, yeah, we could go higher. We but we cert- certainly The news out today is around death, destruction, pestilence and war. All right, Mark, stay with me just for a moment. The annual Milken Conference continues today in Los Angeles, where some of the world's leading investors, CEOs and policymakers, they're gathering to share their latest big and innovative ideas. Our Brian Sullivan spoke with some of them about where they're positioning their money in this uncertain market. One thing that we're looking at is home builders, for example, People are going to need homes. If, if, even if prices increase, people eventually need somewhere to live. And from a historical perspective, 
Think back to the 80s. People still bought houses there when rates, you know, were much higher, multiples higher than where they are. If you're investing for 20 years period, 30 year period, it'll all be okay. But if you're a short-term trader who's trying to make money in this in this time period, that's more challenging. Um, but yes, we are overweight to real, or trying to go more overweight to real assets uh, because we think that's going to be a good store of value. Another name in that space that you guys like at Thornburg is, is Visa. Yeah. I mean, is that a very kind of make the same arguments you just made, insert V for COF? It's more expensive. Um, it's got a more entrenched market position. Uh, it, is, it is my considered opinion that the end game for a lot of fintech, which would be a lot of what is, what is threatening, in theory, Visa's business. Meaning they buy them. Uh, that is my belief. That's the end game, right? Yeah. The, the, the business model for fintech, fintech founders. is just, oh, Right. right away is to be bought. Exactly, exactly. By Visa. Because, because there's, real, there's real value in that network. And I still think having a couple key elements can give investors success in this kind of environment. First, have a strategic asset allocation. Know what you're going to retreat to when risk on no longer feels quite as appropriate. So I think having that predefined so that you can essentially move back to that true north of diversification yeah. is step so one. So where is that point for you right now? You said... U.S. equities look attractive. Uh, It sounds like you're upping your allocation to the American stock market. Oh, I think that's a decline. We've actually trimmed our exposure to U.S. equities, pulled back a bit, but we do remain overweight. From an actionable perspective, again, beyond just the equity side, I think I'd point investors really to the commodities, natural resources, infrastructure, and other diversified real assets that are getting a great bit of tailwind yeah. behind them with the inflation. Are you buying the physical asset, or do you buy the futures, or do you buy equities and debt, or D, all the above, Todd? I think it's D, all the above. I'd actually encourage clients to take a look at diversified strategies in that vein. All right, Mark, a lot there. Uh, real assets brought up several times. I know you're also a fan of commodities. Any of those comments stand out to you? Well, that was a great uh, clip to give the fa- flavor of what the Milken Conference is like. It's a fantastic event. Uh, you know, I'll pick up on a couple of things. I think, first, the, the stress on having your asset allocation and, and thinking about, you know, do I have my liquidity bucket? Do I have my longevity bucket? Do I have my legacy bucket? So that you are prepared, you, if, if you have enough liquidity, that when these market opportunities arise, you can take them. Now, our main tilt is towards saying, look, recession will inevitably happen at some point in the future, but that is a risk case right now. The real thing is we do have this inflation. And so we are positioned both broadly in our asset allocation and in our equity allocation to take advantage of what we see as an inflationary environment. And so, yes, that means be overweight in commodities. We're also overweight in value stocks globally, which tend to perform better in inflationary environments. And we do have an overweight towards energy equities. And then we also have a hedge a little bit uh, towards more defensive sectors, such as healthcare, if this bad news continues to keep coming through and impacting the market. Well, Mark, I'm hoping that bad news does not continue to keep impacting the market. I think a lot of us are. Also, you're adding recession to death and taxes. Good to know. Mark Hayfully, great stuff. Thanks for waking up with us. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, inflation strikes again, taking down a big consumer brand. And we have your big money movers coming up. Plus, what Elon Musk told reporters when he made a quick stop at the Met Gala last night with his mom. And later ahead of the Fed, another major central bank hiking its key interest rate for the first time in a decade. What it could mean for markets here at home, a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. 
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. All right, time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. First up, Avis Budget shares up more than 6% right now. The car rental company swinging to a first quarter profit. As sales jumped, Avis says demand increased significantly towards the end of the quarter, despite an uptick in COVID cases. Stock two, Clorox, the maker of cleaning and consumer products, posting a third quarter profit on stronger than expected sales growth. But the company is cutting its profit outlook for the year, citing rising commodity, manufacturing and shipping costs, shares down about 2%. Finally, Devon Energy, the U.S. shale producer, reporting profit rose more than fourfold in the first quarter. Thanks to surging oil and gas prices, Devon is increasing its share buyback plan to $2 billion and boosting its dividend payout to 27%, shares up more than 2.5%. Still on deck, why Elon Musk may be looking at places other than his own very large bank account for funds to bring Twitter into his personal portfolio of companies. We're going to explain. Stay with us. Today's big number. One trillion dollars. That's how much Goldman Sachs expects S&P 500 companies will spend on buybacks this year. That would represent an increase of 12 percent over 2021. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on the morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera's in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Francis. Frank, good morning. We start in New Mexico where thousands of homes are being evacuated as wildfires spread at an alarming rate. Two fires merged into one monster blaze that's torched over 100,000 acres. The Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire is 20 percent contained. Ohio's Republican Senate primary is today. The race is being closely watched as a measure of former President Trump's influence. Mr. Trump endorsed author J.D. Vance. According to a Trafalgar Group poll, Vance is in the lead with 26 percent of likely GOP primary voters. Trailing him are State Senator Matt Dolan with 22 percent and former Ohio Treasurer Josh Mandel with 21. The candidates are all within each other's margin of error. Eight percent of respondents were undecided. 
Last night was fashion's biggest night at the Met Gala. There's Kim Kardashian. She wore Marilyn Monroe's original dress that she wore when she sang Happy Birthday to former President John F. Kennedy. Actor Jared Leto brought House of Gucci straight to the red carpet, twinning there with Gucci's creative director. Supermodel Gigi Hadid rocked this Atelier Versace custom puffer over a burgundy cat suit. And there was Blake Lively. She was draped in the same designer. Her gown, though, is that's how it started. And then they unraveled it and had this reversible train for a whole different look. So it was kind of Frank Presto Changeo, a Transformer Met Gala style outfit there. She was one of the co-chairs, so I guess she could do that. So we, as you know, the more over the top, the better when it comes to the Met Gala. Yeah, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't even pick out these clothes, Francis. I'm no style expert. You know, I just kind of I wear what they tell me. Well, there you go. You get a little <laughs> bit of a guideline when it comes to the Met Gala, when it comes to everything above and beyond and over the top. Yeah, it looked pretty interesting. I uh, hope everybody had a good time. All right, Francis Rivera, thank you very much. Sure thing. All right, straight ahead, while my next guest says the Fed may have an impossible task ahead of it when it comes to engineering a soft landing without sparking another recession. TD's Priya Misra is next. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange will be right back. Markets looking to shake off an abysmal April, mounting a major comeback to kick off May. Futures fighting for more gains this morning. Fed decision on deck. Investors gearing up for the central bank's latest meeting and a more aggressive monetary policy. What it could mean for your money. And Elon Musk tightening the purse strings on his Twitter bid, is he? The Tesla CEO has reported new strategy, putting less of his own money on the line. It is Tuesday, May the 3rd. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. It is just after 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Here is how the markets and your money look right now. Taking a look at futures right now, we're going to say they're basically flat. They were slightly higher earlier now, just slightly in the red, uh, but pretty much flat this morning. Now, this follows Monday's late-day rally. All the major averages closing positive after hitting fresh lows for the year in the early part of that session. Now turning our attention to the bond market. Historic move by the 10-year yield, topping 3% for the first time since 2018. Right now we're seeing it just below that level at 2.987. want to clear that out right here. Um, but just in general, this bond movement, about 50 basis points higher than it was just a month ago. Now turning our attention to the oil market. Crude coming off its fifth winning session in a row. WTI trading right now at about 104 a barrel, down almost a percent. Brent crude down just about a percent as well. Now turning our attention to this morning's other top stories, including the latest on Amazon and the continued push for unionization at some of its facilities. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those details. Good morning again, Silvana. Hey, Frank. Good morning again. Well, workers at one of Amazon's warehouses in New York City voting overwhelmingly to reject a union bid. Officials saying 62 percent of the nearly 1,000 votes cast were against the union. The results come after a separate election last month at a different facility in the city voted in favor of unionizing. Both sides in the matter will have until Monday to potentially file objections. Elon Musk is reportedly in talks to line up more financing for his $44 billion deal to buy Twitter. According to Reuters, Musk is in talks with large investment firms and high net worth individuals about the money. The report says the potential move by the Tesla CEO is aimed at tying up less of his own money in the deal. Musk had previously committed $21 billion to the deal, selling $8.5 billion of Tesla 
of Tesla stock last week to meet those financial needs. Speaking with David Faber at the Milken Institute Global Conference, Apollo Global CEO Mark Rowan weighed in on Musk's strategy to take Twitter private. If you guys had participated in any way, it would have been on the credit side. Yes. People seem to be misinterpreting. Uh, was that of interest to you as a potential credit? Uh, absolutely. Why? Uh, for the same reason. They're, Twitter and Elon's holdings and Tesla are infinitely bankable. The question is whether it will be a good investment, and that will be what, what Elon and the entrepreneurial team does with it from the yeah. equity side. And the SEC is nearly doubling the size of its staff at its crypto unit in a bid to crack down on abuses in the growing market. The unit is increasing its headcount by 20 for a total of 50 people that will include hiring staff attorneys, trial lawyers and fraud analysts. Frank, the move comes nearly eight months after SEC Chair Gary Gensler told lawmakers his agency needed more staff to handle the volume of new and complex financial technologies. All right, Asravana Hanau with the very latest. Savannah, thank you. You got it. All right, turning our attention back to the markets and some historic news out of Australia. The country's central bank hikes its key interest rate for the first time in more than a decade in an effort to help fight surging inflation, which is trending at its highest levels in Australia since 2001. The Reserve Bank of Australia boosting rates by 25 basis points, a more aggressive move than many economists had predicted. This all coming ahead of the Federal Reserve's next policy meeting. Kicking off today with a rate decision due at 2 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Many on the street looking for a 50 basis point hike, but some not ruling out an even more hawkish move similar to what we just saw overnight at the RBA. Joining me now is Stephen Hal Merrick, chief economist and head of global economic and markets research at the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. That's Australia's largest bank. Also with me, Priya Misra, global head of rate strategy at TD Securities. Stephen and Priya, good morning. Good morning. Morning. So, Priya, if you don't mind if I start with you, um, we keep saying this, the 50 point basis, uh, 50 basis point hike expected, kind of already priced into the market. But you also believe that the Fed's goal of controlling inflation and also maintaining economic growth, it may be impossible. Is that why we're seeing so much volatility is that the markets are trying to figure out if the Fed and Powell can do the impossible? Absolutely. I think the Fed doesn't control a, a, a large part of inflation. You know, there's a lot of supply chain issues with goods inflation. There's high commodity prices. There's the impact of the war. These are things that Fed rate hikes or even QT really have very little impact on. There are also lags to monetary policy. So if the Fed wants to get inflation down to target this year or next year, they're going to have to raise rates significantly above neutral. Now, the market's already pricing that in. So I think the rates market is pricing the Fed overshooting neutral plus tightening policy through QT. And I think the broader market is just waking up to the fact that if the Fed indeed does what the rates market is pricing in, I think we're in for a really tough time for the economy as well as financial conditions. Now, our view actually is that closer to year end, the Fed might indicate some tolerance for high inflation because I think they're going to, when they start to see the impact on financial conditions or growth, that they actually slow down their path of trying to get to 2% and they you know, don't go much above neutral. But if the if the bond market is right, I think then we're in for a really tough time for the economy. Wow, even tougher than now. A lot of volatility already, Priya. Uh, Stephen, over to you. So the RBA, it hiked rates a little bit higher than expected in an effort to tamp down inflation um, based on what was a shock from your Australian CPI numbers. Here in the U.S., we've been a whole lot more than shocked. I think we've been shocked and awed by some of the inflation that we're seeing. Do you see the RBA's decision impacting our Fed's decisions and possibly creating a more hawkish tone? Because 
And I don't know if you have a consensus opinion, contrarian, but you actually believe even with this hike that the economy is going to continue to grow strongly. Well, I think though, we look at it in the context of what happened in Australia today. So you know, the Fed's raised rates, Canada, the UK, New Zealand. So Australia joining that, uh, that club, if you like. Uh, with a 25 basis point move today, the, the consensus was actually for a 15 basis point move to try and get back to around 25 basis points. But we're now at 35, 0.35% for the cash rate. Uh, we actually think we'll get another five 25 basis point moves over the remainder of this year into early uh, next year. So that'll take the cash rate to 1.6%. Uh, but the bond market, similarly to there in the US, is pricing in the RBA cash rate getting to 3.5% over the next year and a half. Uh, we just do not see that happening because if that was to happen, uh, that would have a significantly negative impact on the economy, uh, particularly the housing market here in Australia, where we uh, have a you know, heavily indebted housing market and lots of fixed rate mortgages that need to be refinanced over the next couple of years. You know, Stephen, what I was actually referring to, whether it was contrary or consensus, was uh, your forecast for the Australian economy to grow at 4.7 percent for the rest of the year, even with the hike that you're seeing today. So one of the big concerns we have here yep. in the U.S. is that the hike might slow down the growth in the economy. You don't feel that way about this, this initial hike, about the Australian economy? Can I ask why? Well, so we're expecting growth this year of about 4.7 percent, but much slower next year. I mean, the Reserve Bank's forecast they published today the 2023 growth is just 2%. So a significant slowdown in 2023 after the impact uh, the impact of these rate hikes feed through the economy next year. Um, so this year we've got a quite a head of steam in the economy, a lot of momentum. The labour market, like there in the US, is very tight. The, the unemployment rate is actually the lowest since the early 1970s. Uh, we're beginning to see wages growth, which the Reserve Bank talked about today. So the momentum for this year looks pretty solid. Uh, next year, would expect a slower rate of growth. All right, Priya, turn our attention back here to the U.S. Uh, we just talked about it earlier today. Uh, the yield on the 10-year just crossing 3% earlier this morning, kind of hovering around there right now. You believe it's going to hit a high of 3.2%. How does that impact the market and even the Fed's decisions going forward on hikes? So I, I, I think the, the tenure is really about quantitative tightening. Now, the market's priced for the announcement tomorrow, but I think there are nonlinear effects. So as we get more supply, what quantitative tightening, what balance sheet runoff does is it creates more treasury supply. We have to find the marginal buyer for treasuries, and that's what's going to move those rates higher. Then that starts to constrain economic activity because, you know, most people borrow at the tenure point. So I think the move in the tenure is ultimately what's going to end the hiking cycle and, and the fact that it's driven by real rates. I think it's interesting. Much of the rise in the tenure up until the last month was in inflation expectations. Now we're seeing real rates starting to rise. That starts to impact the housing market, starts to impact any interest sensitive components of the economy. But I do think there's a little bit more room to go because the supply hasn't yet started. I think there's an impact of that supply, which is why I think the tenure could go higher. The market's very volatile. You, you talked about that because liquidity is not that great. We're Trying to find that marginal buyer when global rates are rising, we could absolutely move a little bit higher. But I think it's, it's unsustainable because then the economy starts to protest. All right, Priya, I'm going to put you on the spot and give you the last word here. Uh, obviously, the RBA raising rates higher than expected with the goal of controlling inflation. The U.S. and Australia, two very different countries, two very different economies. But do you see the U.S. Fed taking a page out of the RBA's book and maybe hiking those rates a little bit higher, being influenced potentially by this decision? 
So I think they are probably going to go 50 basis point this meeting. I think, you know, uh, for every central bank trying to get to neutral, they're all trying to get there fast. So to that extent, that's the commonality I see between the RB and the Fed. I mean, we weren't talking about 50 basis point hikes just two months ago. So I do think the central banks get to neutral fast, where I, I guess I would agree with Steve. I think going above neutral, now that's a much harder task, which I think every central bank is going to struggle with. How much more restrictive are they going to take policy, fighting an inflation that they actually can't control? So I would be with you um, in, in terms of being struggling to go much above neutral, but yeah, they really want to get to neutral very fast. All right. Thank you, Stephen Halmerick and Priya Misra. We appreciate the insight. Thanks for being here. All right. Coming up on Worldwide Exchange, your morning's big money movers, including what's taking a massive bite out of Chegg shares. But first, as we had to break, some of your top trending stories. Vice Media has hired financial advisors as the company seeks a potential sale. Sources telling CNBC, Vice, which was once valued at nearly $6 billion, is also looking at options to sell the company in parts due to potential issues around valuation and outstanding debt. And the woes for Gabe Plotkin's Melvin Capital, they just continue. The New York Post reporting the hedge fund lost more than 3% in April. That takes Melvin's year-to-date losses to more than 23%. And Elon Musk stepping out at last night's Met Gala. Musk, who was joined by his mom, speaking on the red carpet about his bid for Twitter, saying he wants to make the platform as inclusive as possible. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. We begin with Chegg. Shares plunging more than 35 percent. The textbook company posting better than expected earnings, but its weak outlook is clearly spooking investors. NXP Semi giving an upbeat forecast. The automotive chip supplier telling analysts it expects a seventh straight quarter of record sales. That stock rising at a percent right now on that news. And Alibaba share swinging wildly in overnight trading in Asia. The stock dropped more than 9% at one point in the session after unconfirmed reports linked Jack Ma to a national security investigation. But shares recovered after later reports from state media suggested the person in question was not the Alibaba co-founder. Well, turning our attention back to the annual milking conference, it continues today in L.A., where some of the world's leading investors, CEOs and policymakers are gathering to share their latest big and innovative ideas. Our Brian Sullivan sat down with Siemens USA CEO Barbara Humpton asking about the potential risk of a recession ahead and the impact supply chain problems have had on her company. We're dealing with factors that are unbelievable right now. And Siemens will, as a matter of fact, we're supporting everyone in the economy. So we're going to have to take that roller coaster ride with everyone. But I will give you a perspective from Siemens USA. Look at what we have. We have relative energy security. We have vaccines and tests that are and therapeutics that we're are, here make, that are making it possible for us Hi. to do this. The economy is open. So I, I actually think this is a moment when the U.S. has an incredible opportunity, and I'll even go so far as to say an obligation to step up, because there are parts of the world that are going to be far more disruptive yeah. than we are. All it takes is one component for one thing to be in an area that's locked down or disrupted yeah. by conflict. You know, that can throw off the entire chain. So, Brian, what we've been focused on is the tools that will make it possible for us to globalize. How can we bring manufacturing to a more regional or even local level? And so we're seeing this with many of our customers saying, yes, 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 I need to keep operations somewhere else in the world, but I also want to bring an enhanced manufacturing footprint, say, but globalization. here to the U.S. 
And you can catch more of the high-profile conversations from the Milken Conference, including Brian Sullivan's sit-down with GE CEO Larry Culp all day right here on CNBC. On deck, stocks finding fresh momentum with the kickoff of the new trading month. Our market panel lays out whether those legs will hold or if April's volatility will reemerge. Worldwide Exchange, coming right back. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A busy day ahead for traders, including several high-profile earnings reports before the opening bell. We get results from Pfizer, Biogen, and Paramount Global, the company formerly known as Viacom CBS. We're also watching primary elections in Indiana and Ohio. In Indiana's primary election, there's one Senate race and nine congressional districts on the ballot. In Ohio, it's one Senate race and 15 congressional races and the gubernatorial race on the ballot. Our Elon Moy in Ohio today, covering that Ohio race. All right, turning back to stocks, looking to keep the momentum of Monday's big reversal to kick off the new trading month going today. Futures right now, well, slightly higher. They were flat just a little bit ago, down even almost to the negative right now. We're seeing them up just a bit higher right now. All right, for more on the trading day, let's bring in Eric Bailey, Executive Managing Director at Steward Partners Global Advisory and a Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisor, three years running. And Jason Snipe, Chief Investment Officer at Odyssey Capital Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Good morning. So we're going to talk. Hey, hey, guys. Uh, so, Jason, I'm going to start off with you. We've been talking about it all morning, this 50 basis point hike pretty much expected uh, tomorrow. But you're saying you're actually looking forward to the next meeting. You want to see another hike in the next meeting and then just see where we're at. But where do you think we're going to be if that happens? Yeah, it's a, good, it's a great question, uh, Frank. Obviously, we've been talking about this 50 basis point, 50 basis point hike for several, several weeks now. And I, I think it's pretty much baked into the cake at this stage And what I'm looking for as we move throughout this summer is what the next meeting, what they do in the next meeting in June, obviously CPI numbers, PPI numbers, and PCE numbers are obviously really hot. You know, so so the concern around inflation and the concern around managing uh, inflation going forward is obviously plays into the narrative today. But I do think, you know, going into late and late part of the summer, I do think the the Fed will really be data dependent and kind of see where markets are trending, you know, after they start, you know, front loading this policy, because obviously they have to do it at this stage. You know, they've been talking about it for some time, but they have to execute at this point. So I'm really curious to see what the late stages of the summers look like after these two hikes get get underway. Yeah. Eric, over to you. Uh, Jason just said us with a bunch of three letters there with the CPE, the PPI. I'm going to hit you with one more, the VIX. It's up 97 percent year to date. Hard to remember this after all that's happened this year, but at the beginning of the year, we had Omicron raging. It, just about a month before that, it had been identified. We were at peak supply chain congestion, and we already had some of this rising inflation. Why are investors so much more spooked now? Is it simply the geopolitical uncertainty, or is there something else going on? Yeah, Brian, it's been quite a year, right? And it's only the second day in May, so we've gone through a lot. You know, it's a lot to digest. There's been so much that has happened this year, and uncertainty is still the, the reigning theme for investors. Uncertainty, as as Jason just talked about with the Fed policy. Hopefully, we get some clarity Wednesday, and that will calm the market down, hopefully bring the VIX, a measure of, of market volatility, lower. And that could help the markets. Uh, and we saw that yesterday with that reversal. Hopefully, you know, maybe that was uh, the start of, uh, of a bounce here. And today, this morning, as you see the futures, we're getting we're getting some upside as well. But the uncertainty, right? Uncertainty over COVID, as you mentioned, uncertainty over 
the war in Ukraine, uncertainty over supply chain. That's been the big theme, and that's why the VIX is so high and why we've seen such a, such a negative, tough market so far this year. All right. So everybody always says they're searching for quality, Eric. Um, you're actually searching for stocks that pay a dividend. Can you give us kind of some sense of what kind of stocks you're talking about? Are there particular sectors? Yeah, clearly uh, what we've seen is any high valuation stock has really been hit hard, uh, as we've seen with uh, companies come out. We're seeing the effects of the economy, and, and they've been hit hard. Dividend-paying stocks give investors that assurance that you're going to get a return while you ride through this difficult market, this volatility. So we like low-value stocks, uh, price-to-earnings below the market average, below 16. And right now you can find great paying companies paying dividends well north of 3%. Right. So, Eric, can you give us an, no an example or two? Would you mind? What's that? So would you mind giving us an example or two of the kind of stocks you're talking about? Yeah, in consumer space, you have uh, Kimberly-Clark pays north of 3%. Lots of financials. We do like financials because that sector has been hit hard. And I think when you get some clarity here from the Fed, you're going to see certain financial stocks, Morgan Stanley, a lot of different big banks, Bank America, Wells Fargo, State Street, all low valuation companies paying dividends well north of 3%. All right, Jason, turn over to you. I know you said you're looking for quality. You're actually finding that quality in the chip space with Qualcomm. Uh, forward P.E. right now at 11 times forward earnings. Just to put it in perspective, AMD closer to 22 times. What are you seeing in Qualcomm that maybe you're not seeing in other parts of tech? Yeah, obviously, you know, I think Eric makes a great point in just ter- looking at stocks that have multiples that are trading at a discount to the market. So, in a Qualcomm, a name like that, that's obviously in a cyclical sector. Obviously, the SMH and semis have really gotten beaten up. I think that's indicative of kind of supply chains and where what's been going on there. But Qualcomm trading at 11 times forward, as you mentioned, Frank, you know, with a diversified mix. I mean, they're, they've moved away from the handset business. They're also uh, uh, litigation is behind them and all that they've dealt with over the last several years. You know, I like names like this. Uh, obviously, they beat on EPS. They they raise guidance. They beat on revenue. So there there are there's a nice shopping list out here. Quality names trading at a discount to the market that I think as a long term investor, you should be looking at opportunities here and hunting for similar names like this and across all the sectors, quite honestly. All right, Jason, I'm going to give you a last word. We obviously saw a late day rally yesterday. Nasdaq actually finishing up over a percent with the two day meeting kicking off. What are you expecting on the markets today? So I think I think the markets will will be quiet. Thankfully, I mean, it's, it's been a very volatile last couple of weeks. I think the markets will be quiet. I think, you know, obviously, as I mentioned at the top, you know, the, the this this raise is really baked into the cake. So I think markets will want to get past uh, this move and look to the rest of the summer. But I think we'll still experience volatility, unfortunately. But I do think there will be opportunities in the market that will present themselves here in the near term. All right. We'll have to wait and see. Futures right now just very slightly in the green. Eric Bailey and Jason Snipe, thank you both for your insight and thanks for being here. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.